So um, just so everybody's aware, I got about three hours and 10 minutes of sleep last night. I was a little frazzled trying to get this message completed. There were a whole bunch of things that piled up this week. Um, Bill, you're going to get a call because I set off the alarm pretty well this morning because I couldn't remember the code. <laughs> and I'm trying to look it up on my phone and my glasses are outside and it's like, so I had to go outside, get my glasses, come back in, the alarm's going off the whole time. You're, you'll get a call, I'm sure. <laughs> it was just one of those weeks, right? <laughs> Truly amazing. I, I have a pretty good idea of what the Israelites felt like during our message this morning. <laughs> if, for those of you who've read it already, you're aware that it's, it's not a very uplifting, positive message that we're going to get here at the end. Um, everybody keep Anvilinga in your prayers. She came home. Uh, she's recovering at home now. I'm sure she's going a little stir-crazy with the dogs and everything going on and her inability to not get around quite the way she's used to and I'm sure the dogs are thinking why aren't you playing with us mom and <laughs> so um, she may be doing well enough here in a week or so um, that she can get around but we are very thankful that she's home and in case you have not noticed it was unusually cool this morning when we all got up right <laughs> it's going to get a little worse even tomorrow should be Kind of exciting and yesterday actually was the the day we hit equal amounts of sunlight and and nighttime and so today is actually shorter than the night um we're, we're down under i'm sorry under 11 hours actually um 11 hours of daylight it's 10 hours and 58 minutes today so um we're going to look at isaiah 5 today this chapter is a little different than what we've had before. This whole chapter is a song. It actually says that right up front, very clearly. And it also tells us that everything that's explained here is a metaphor. And not just for Israel, but it's a metaphor for us as well. So we should keep that in mind. And the second section is a little long, which is a warning to the wicked, and we'll, we'll get there. So um, let me pray, and let's begin. Almighty God, you are so amazing, magnificent, and radiant. Lord, we give you honor, glory, and praise. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the gifts that you've bestowed on us. We ask for wisdom in the way that we should go and the questions that we wrestle with in our lives. Give us discernment, Lord. Give us your truth, which sets us free, because we need to know that truth. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be with those who are in distress. We know of those who are suffering anguish, who fight against disease and those who are left behind. And many of those who are standing at death's door this day, Lord. Heavenly Father, let them feel your presence, your comforting hand. You are the only one that can save any of us. 
As we look at your scripture here from Isaiah, your truth will set us free. Let us hold fast to that. Holy Spirit, enable us to trust in Jesus, to believe the words spoken of him under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, breathed out by God and here written down by your servant Isaiah. Help us, Lord, to be both hearers and believers and live out this truth. We love you and praise you. You are our great shepherd, our hope and our salvation. Lord, we ask you to open our ears and give us hearts to hear your word and follow. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get right into it. This is chapter 5, Isaiah 5, and we're going to do verses 1 and 2 right here. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his graveyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. So the owner of the vineyard is clearly God, and the beloved is his son. You can figure that out fairly easily. And the caretakers of the vineyard are the church of God's people. God establishes the church and God's people are to care for it by following God's commands. God carefully prepares the vineyard. The Father and Jesus clear the vineyard of stones and they plant the choicest of grapevines looking forward to the sweet wine from the harvested grapes. They had a wine vat to prepare their new wine. But the Father and Jesus went to collect the grapes and they did not find sweet grapes. Instead, they found very rotten grapes. Translated from Hebrew, wild grapes means literally stinking things. When the Hebrews say stinking things, it's a very vile thing, literally a cesspool. Verses 3 and 4. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? So now God asks the hard rhetorical question. What should God do about his vineyard? What should God do here? And Isaiah answers us, verses 5 and 6. And now I will tell you what I will do to my grapeyard, my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and the briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. This is pretty hard. And wow, God has been very patient waiting for his harvest of grapes. But instead, he has a pile of stinking things. 
So God is going to set about to destroy his vineyard. God says that the wall will be broken down. This is an indication that Isaiah is not speaking about a literal vineyard, but instead, this is really about Jerusalem. That God is going to lose patience with his chosen people. It also makes a reference to briars and thorns, and that means weeds, and the weeds represent God's curse. This is the anarchy that follows the power vacuum after a war. Did you ever stop and think about the whole issue that we have with Iraq and Afghanistan? The United States won those wars very quickly. But what nobody thought about was what do you do afterwards? How do you run those countries? You have the people who actually were running those countries who were the only ones that knew what, what, was, what was going on. But these are the very people that you went there to defeat. What do you do? This is the part that no one thinks about. What do you do after you win? If you look back at what we've done in every single war that we've done in, over the last century, no one had thought about what it was you do afterwards. If you go all the way back to Abraham Lincoln in the Civil War, if you read that history, you find out what it was no one thought about. What do you do afterwards? When you have that power vacuum, it always creates chaos. Now, that said, God is also capable of turning the weeds into trees and myrtle. In Isaiah 55:13, Isaiah 55:13, we read, "Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off." God is capable of turning even very very difficult times into positive things. And this is something we should remember, especially right now. We're going to talk a little bit about that as we go through here a little bit more. Verse 7. Back to Isaiah 5, verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah. Isaiah's telling you flat out right here. This is, this is a metaphor. The men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteous, righteousness, and behold, an outcry. Now it is clearly revealed that this is not a literal story, but all of it is a metaphor for God and for his people. It is further intended, not just as a metaphor within Isaiah's time, but for us today. God was looking for justice and righteousness, but instead, God found bloodshed and riots. This ends the passage on God's vineyard right here. Isaiah then launches into a series of woes, and verse 8 is the first one of these. Woe to the wicked, 
Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field until there is no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. This is the first of the exclamation of woes. There are six which follow in succession here. We're going to go through each one. These woes are the second portion of the song or the lament that Isaiah is singing. This woe condemns greed, and in particular, greed against those whom we are supposed to protect. When Isaiah says house to house and field to field, this is an expression against ill-gotten wealth. If you stop and think about what's going on, the siege against Judah has depleted the grain and the fruit, the food that's available. The common people and families are going hungry. The people had no money to pay for food. The only thing that these people had of value were being sold. They were selling their houses and the fields on which they grew their food, and they were selling them to the rich people who had excess wealth at that time. And so these people were adding fields to their own fields, and they were adding houses to their own houses. These wealthy people were taking advantage of the poor, the orphans, the widows, the families. These were the people living at the edge of society, the outcast, the stranger, and the foreigner. What these people were doing to the poor was evil. Throwing people out into the streets, and the people were only doing this so that they could eat. Think about what's going on today. How many are taking advantage of the situation with COVID? Leanne had a doctor's appointment yesterday, so we had to go down to L.A. And as we got off of the freeway, there was a guy right there at the end of the, the off-ramp. And fortunately, Leanne had one of her later bags in the, the back seat, so I grabbed it, rolled the window down, and handed it to him. He was a very young man, I would guess maybe about 20 years old. And as he reached out, the only thing I could see on his hands were his bones. He was just incredibly thin. It's obvious he's not doing very well on the street. He didn't say anything as he walked away. But the only thing I could think as we, the light changed and, and we drove on by was, that's got to be incredibly difficult for him and how sorry I felt for him. And I hadn't noticed how bad off he was until he walked up and took the bag of food from us. And I was very thankful that we had that, that we could give that to him. I have to add here at this point, my wife thinks about these things, and that's why those bags are in the back seat on the floor. Verses 9 and 10. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, surely many houses shall be desolate, large, beautiful houses without inhabitant. Ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah. 
Isaiah is saying here that the very rich will be left powerless and desolate. No one will be living in their houses. By way of explanation, the mention here of a bath, Homer, and ephah are measures. He talks about 10 acres of land creating only enough fruit for a bath. A bath is six gallons, by the way. Okay? So you think about working hard on 10 acres of land and then only having six gallons of juice from all that work. A bushel of seed is planted and grown and cared for, but it only yields an ephah. An ephah is a, is a jar of grain. So you're taking literally a bushel of seed and spreading it on the field, and when you harvest at the end of the year, you have a grain, a, a, a jar of seed. That's all that's left. This is a terrible curse. It tells us that anything we are trying to save will only be less and less. Imagine saving money, trying to save up for retirement, but the money is worth less and less. This is inflation at an incredible rate that is devastating these people. I remember a time when my dad was trying to refinance a house in the late 1970s. The interest rates were running in the high 20% annually. And he didn't have a choice. So we took, we took the loan. And it was pretty hard for several years. My dad was able to eventually dig himself out of that by refining and refining and refining but he was having to refi even more and more. And the value of the home continued to go up so that he could do this. But the amount of money that he, was actually, that he actually owed the bank was tremendous by comparison to the original loan that he had taken out. We're doing this now today in our country, by the way. We're doing this at the expense of our children. And it, it disturbs me when I see our country do this. It turns out in 2004, if I had saved a dollar, one dollar, put it in the bank, kept it in my savings account, today that dollar is worth 83 cents. It's 17% that we've lost since 2004. That's the rate of inflation that we have right now, which is low. That's what these people were experiencing. And to a great extent, that's what we're doing today. Verses 11 and 12. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp, tambourine and flute, and wine at their feasts. But they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the works of his hands. This is the second woe. Isaiah condemns drunkenness here. Alcoholism has been a stain on our society since before recorded history. 
This is not to say alcohol on its own is bad. A glass of wine with a meal or sharing a drink with friends, this is not only allowed, it is even encouraged that we celebrate together. What Isaiah is condemning is the unhealthy craving for drink that is sin. Therefore my people go, this is verse 13, Therefore my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry, and their multitude is parched with thirst. The people may know what to do, but they don't do it. Or they don't know what to do, and the result is pain and suffering. Does this sound like anything you've seen recently? I do one thing every morning when I first get up. I go to the Johns Hopkins scoreboard for COVID, and I look at how many Americans have died. This morning, it is just eight people short of 225,000. It was just eight people short when I checked this morning. And I've been doing this, by the way, since April. I've told you I'm a little OCD, right? Okay, you, you know this. So this is, this is my morning thing. And I've actually got a graph that I keep track of what this looks like. The CDC says that 2.2 million Americans died last year. And that our life expectancy at that time was 84 years. By the time one year rolls around, I, I know a scientist from NASA Ames. He just retired. He and I have worked on things since we were both interns. We worked on many of the same projects, and we kept in touch. Dr. Steve Smith. Steve thinks that at the one year mark after COVID started that we'll be at 400,000. And I think that's actually a low number. I think it's going to be closer to 500,000 Americans will have died from this. So you want to add to the 2.2 million that we were supposed to have, and then you add a half a million to that, and you figure out what the life expectancy is for the United States. It's 67 years. This year, that is the life expectancy of a human living in the United States, 67 years. I don't like that. So when I read this message about what's happening to the, to, to the Israelites, I don't have to go very far to have examples of what's happening in our society today. And I pray hard about those, about those lessons. Isaiah is speaking to us. Isaiah says here that their honored men go hungry. How often has our nation done a really good job of soldiers returning from war to bring them back and get them back into society? We do a pretty poor job at that. We're not the first generation to have forgotten the sacrifice of the young men and women now 
that we send off to war and to ignore them when they return after having defended our freedoms and our privileges. We can and do be- should do better. Isaiah continues on, verses 14 and 15. Therefore Sheol has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure. The nobility of Jerusalem and her multitude will go down. Her revelers and he who exalts in her. Man is humbled and each one is brought low. And the eyes of the haughty are brought low. Sheol here is the Hebrew word for the grave. Death stalks all of Judah, the rich and the privileged class, as well as the common people, and they are all brought down by disaster. Verses 16 and 17. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Then shall the lambs graze as in their pasture, and nomads shall eat among the ruins of the rich. God's justice is correct. God's righteousness is pure and complete. It belongs to God alone, and his will is perfect. In the end, the great city will be brought low, and livestock will be found grazing where great monuments and buildings once stood. These monuments that celebrated the ability, the pride, and the great accomplishments of man. And now, it is all a pastoral scene with livestock and shepherds. Verses 18 and 19. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes, who say, let him be quick, let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and let it come that we may know it. This is the third woe. Those who mock God as they conduct their sinful business. They lie and cheat and steal with impunity. They are brazenly open about it. They are proud of their stolen wealth. Wealth stolen from hardworking and honest common people. Isaiah is calling for God to come quickly to right these wrongs and for God to do so openly so that all might see the will in the hand of God. Verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You hear this all the time, right? How accurate is this? We see this every day on the news. Good and evil are turned backwards. That doing the right thing is somehow ugly and dark. How do you resist that? How do you stand up? It's very, very hard. Isaiah continues, verses 21 through 23. This is the last three woes. Sorry, last two, two woes right here. 
Woe to those who are wise in their own, own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. The fifth woe, this one is against pride and self-righteousness. The expression wise in their own eyes means they take pride in their own irrational, arrogant autonomy. That is, these people make outrageous outbursts and take pride in their own great intellect and behavior. And the sixth woe here is again about those who drink to excess, but it adds that they allow evil men to go free for a bribe. And the ones who have to carry that burden are the innocent. This is turning the just and the law upside down. And we see this every day in the society in which we live. Verses 24 and 25. And you'll notice these are still stanzas. This is still the same song that Isaiah is singing. This is all one long song here. Verses 24 and 25. These are long verses, by the way. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, and as the dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom go up in, like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts, and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he stretched out his hand against them and struck them. And the mountains quaked, and their corpses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Verse 24 continues the curse against the sixth woe of those who pervert justice. Isaiah says, just as the flame consumes the stubble of dry grass, the evil and unjust will suffer from the rottenness to their core, and the fruit of their own labor shall collapse like the dust of the earth. This is because they have rejected the law of God. They have despised the direction of the holy words of the Lord. Verse 25 seems to indicate these people who are so cursed by God, and it appears his, this behavior was widespread in Judea at that time, that God condemns the nation of Judah. God stretches out his hand against them, and earthquakes rumble in the mountains. The dead corpses are left in the streets, and God was deeply angry that his hand remained stretched out for some time. Leanne came in while I was typing this up, and we were talking about this, and, and her reaction was, wow, this sounds exactly like Sodom and Gomorrah. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. You're right. This is exactly like Sodom and Gomorrah. That's why she came in right at that moment to tell me that. Because I wasn't, you know, the metaphor was going over my head. I wasn't fast enough to catch it. Verse 26. 
Isaiah is now talking about God again. He will raise a signal for nations far away and whistle for them from the ends of the earth. And behold, quickly, speedily they come. Now these last four verses are the Assyrian army coming to carry away Israel. The invasion of Samaria and the exile of Israel's people. God sends a signal for Assyria to come. And the Assyrians, the Assyrians come and invade Israel. And Isaiah has a description now. And it's almost as though Isaiah is looking at the scroll of the Assyrians coming. And as I read this, you can think of the image of the scroll of the soldiers coming with their spears and their shields and the chariots on the walls of the temples in Assyria. Verses 27 and 28. None is weary, none stumbles, none slumbers or sleeps, not a waistband is loose, not a sandal strap is broken. Their arrows are sharp, their bows are bent, their horses' hooves seem like flint, and their wheels like the whirlwinds. You can see that image. Their march is inexorable. It is completely unstoppable. They appear as the ancient and perfect military machine in description, the description of the archers and the chariots that we have here. Verses 29 and 30. And this is the closing of the song. Their roaring is like a lion. Like young, young lions they roar. They growl and seize their prey. They carry it off and none can rescue. They will growl over it on that day like the growling of the sea. And if one looks to the land, behold, darkness and distress and the light is darkened by its clouds. The song of lament by Isaiah ends here. The army of Assyria comes and roars like that of the hungry young lions. They growl and seize their prey and carry the prey off. The lions are unrelenting, like the waves crashing on the seashore, unstoppable and continuous. And verse 30 closes. If one looks to the land where Israel once was, where the fires of those who lived there could be seen, all one can see now is darkness, as though the light of the fires are darkened by clouds, but the lights are no more. And Isaiah closes chapter 5 with this dark ominous image. So we have here the vineyard of the Lord destroyed because of the faithless. And Israel is carried off by the Assyrians. The list of the six woes. The dark and gloomy picture of the land afterwards, after the invasion. Those are the unbelievers, the godless, as well as those who believe. Those are the ones 
who mocked God. And there's a terrible judgment that awaits them. God curses them. You know what comes right after this. There's one of those but God moments. And that is the opening of chapter 6 for next week. Chapter 6 is very short. But there's this amazing opening to chapter 6. I'm encouraging all of you to read it. Not right now, later. (laughs) God will save his people. Redemption is bought and paid for to those who are in the throng, who are flowing to the mountain of the Lord. This lesson is for us. We are the ones who mocked God. And Jesus was sent to call us back. Jesus had to pay for our rebellion against God and our sin and our unfaithfulness. And we are unworthy of any kindness from God. But God, faithful and true, sends Jesus to pay for our sins, to make us white as snow. It is God who saves us. It is Jesus who is our Redeemer. And Jesus pays the penalty which belongs solely to each one of us. And Jesus takes all of that upon himself in himself alone, completely, wholly. And we get to spend eternity with God the Father and with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, singing praise and honor and glory before them in the shining city on the hill. The music team has done an outstanding job. Some of these songs, I, I love these. The selection that, that Colleen and Riley come up with week after week are just amazing. I love those. The last couple of weeks have just blown me away, and I'm really looking forward to next week. But what it's going to be like on that day will be so much better. So much better. Isaiah is pointing us back towards God. Isaiah is warning us about the evil life. Isaiah wants to change the way that we live in the world. He wants us to be more Christ-like. We become more Christ-like by thinking about these things that Isaiah is talking about. By doing this, we emulate Jesus more. God loves us. We slip and fall, and I'm not talking about Anne here. God knows we are not there yet. Again and again, I need to be on my knees before God. God has chosen us, our Abba Father. Jesus has purchased us for redemption. If you've not believed in Jesus yet, you want this free gift of God. It is just waiting there for you. All you have to do is accept Jesus as your Savior. Do not wait. Pray to Jesus and ask for him to come into your heart right now. God's greatness will be there for all of us to see on the day of the Lord. We will all witness his greatness and his splendor. That shining on the hill, the mountain of the Lord, the new Jerusalem, with no need of a temple, because God dwells there. Indeed, we wait for Jesus to come. Let's pray.
gracious Father. In Isaiah 42, 10 through 12, we read, Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. Lord, you are so incredible and wonderful, and you have kept your promises to us, though we have been so unfaithful. And you continue to hold us in your hand. Heavenly Father, let us keep your words, the words of your prophet Isaiah, in our hearts. Give us the lessons we must learn. Guide our paths to fulfill your will. Lord, we are so weak, and you are so strong. Your plan of redemption is so perfect. Lord Jesus, you died in our place to redeem each and every one of us. It is so amazing, God. We love you. You are so incredible. We bless you and honor you. Amen.